Hey guys, this episode of Rose and Balls is actually also brought to you by 888 Casino. I'm going to roll the dice on this one. Get $20 in free play by just signing up, just registering. No deposit necessary. You get to play with 20 bucks. You could play any online casino game, blackjack, try the slots, progressive jackpot, progressive jackpots. We've had massive winners of those progressive jackpots. It's a free 20 bucks. Play around. 888 Casino. Go to us.888casino.com or download from the Apple Store or Google Play. So I wanted to talk about uh, two guys that are heavy on the market. First of all, like, it's always silly to me. I I always think the best GMs are the ones that understand the concept of um, buy low and sell high. Okay? Like, I I get it. You have disgruntled players and everything like that. You you have to kind of read the room a little bit. Now, I'm not saying, like, you always have to sell players. And, again, I know buying selling and, and that concept, and it has, you know, let's not get sensitive here socially. But you you don't you want to trade talents um, when they're maybe the value is not at its peak, but it's you know it, it's relative peak, and you get a you get an early good gut read on it. You know people laugh. Phil Jackson in, retro, in hindsight, guys, was a good GM. Blasphemous. No, he wanted to deal KP, and we'll start with KP, and then we'll go to Kemba. He wanted to deal KP. Uh, in the uh, a few years back, after his like second year, he recognized, you know, I guess some of the flaws, some of the personality traits, what have you. But I mean, the Celtics and others were willing to give away a Hall of Fame package that likely would have catapulted the franchise into contention. So he was ready, and he understood it. You know, he was willing to sell high early on KP. Uh, I'm not saying they should have done that or what have you, but obviously his value started deteriorating, and now it's at a it's at a crazy. I never, I mean, this is a, a, an insanely low thing. Uh, the concept, and, and people don't you know learn their lessons of the concepts. The teams that um, I say take advantage, right, and are able to trade get those guys at a buy low, uh, and their talents, and they could reclaim them, resurrect them, whatever you want to call it, do well. The classic example, and there's a few, is, you know, you had Rasheed Wallace, and it's usually the same type of talent. It's a guy who's, you know, off the court issues or, you know, on the court uh, sort of, uh, you know, antics, whatever you want to call it, leads the league of technicals, what have you. The team wants to erase that bad PR. Another team is willing to accept it, and then they do really well. There's, there's, that's usually the classic case. That's the classic case. Dennis Rahman is probably the prime example of that. Um, you know, leaving San Antonio and, and Chicago picked him up for Will Purdue, right? Like, it's ridiculous to even say that out loud. Such a, a lopsided deal. And obviously that helped catapult uh, the three-peat, the second three-peat for the Bulls. Um, and, you know, look, I'll make an argument separate pot. I'll make the argument, you know, the Bulls don't win... They don't go for a three-peat unless they do that ramen deal. He's criminally underrated all time. Just the amount of possessions he's helping you uh, attain on extra and his you know defensive capabilities. We all know this well, right? So that's one. Um, those are those prime examples. And then Rashid Wallace is obviously another one with Portland. 
uh, you know, uh, bad PR, kind of antics, disgruntled. Um, and Detroit picks him up, helps catapult a, a title run. Uh, Ron Artest, disgruntled, not disgruntled, but bad PR with Indiana. Houston picks him up. He has he has new life uh, uh, there. Um, but then you also have, and this is the more interesting one, you also have, I would say, young guys in bad situations. They haven't really found themselves yet, um, and they had high hype, and they haven't lived up to the hype. So, again, I always say this, is, this applies to work, this applies to life, right? Happiness equals results minus expectations. So if you're, you know, about to eat at a pizza place, you think it's going to be a bad pizza place, and it's, you know, pretty good pizza, you're happy. You're like, wow, this is this is a lot better than I anticipated. But if someone tells you, hey, I got the best pizza place for you, they're really pumping up the pizza place, and it's the best pizza you'll ever have, and you go there, and it's, you know, it's okay. You're not going to be happy, right? You probably travel far to get that pizza. You're not going to be happy. Because happiness equals results, what actually happens, Minus expectations, what you perceive or what you feel may happen. And you have to kind of monitor those things in order to achieve happiness, which is you know one of the goals in life. Let's just be let's just be honest. So the other situation is is like Chris Weber is the best example I can think of, uh, and there's probably others uh, too that are gonna come to mind. Where you had, and again, disgruntled, maybe not the right word, I'm not sure what it is, but you had a guy who just started building a reputation for himself. Not, he didn't have antics or anything like that. Maybe he was a prima donna, difficult to work with, but he was a talent. He had talent, and he's shown tremendous uh, moments in his career where the talent showed, right? So Chris Webber, great example of this in Golden State. Uh, the team makes the playoffs his rookie year. Like, it's, it's a tremendous deal after the number one pick. They have a good uh, series with, with, with Phoenix. They look like they have something going, and then there's you know, some internal issues, they, they, um, they move on from him, um, and then he goes to Washington for, uh, you know, a deal, I think, involving Gugliata, Gugliata moves to Golden State, go, and then quickly moves to, Min- to, go, to Minnesota, and a few Daniel Marshall deals, what a downgrade to go from Chris Webber to Daniel Marshall, I understand picks are involved, but that's a big downgrade, um, and then in Washington, Webber, kind of also gives them new life. Now, granted, Rod Strickland has a career year. I believe he won the IBM Award, which doesn't exist anymore, but it was, I think, a, a short-run award where it was who had the best statistical season, and they kind of do like something like a point for a point, you know, three points for a steal, kind of like fantasy. Who was the best fan? Who finished the year with the most total fantasy points? And Rod Strickland won it in 97 because he suddenly had like 19, 12, and three. In a great statistical year, great efficiency. But that Washington team, really fun. Obviously, they run into the freaking Bulls. Like, you know, how many people in the 90s, you know, don't win because of the Bulls? It's a ridiculous thing, reason to, to blow things up. But in Washington, you know, it doesn't work out. He goes to Sacramento. And Sacramento, all of a sudden, like, achieves from nothing. They were nothing. And now they're nothing. But people forget, like, they went from nothing almost overnight they get Weber. Obviously, there's other factors there. Jason Williams in the draft. But Weber was a massive factor. Helps lead them to the conference finals and things like that, right? So the the, the question is, like, what bucket does KP and also Kemba, if you will, kind of fall in? And then, and then who are the right matches? So, first of all, as a buyer, I'm interested in, in KP. I am. So I, there was a... There was a 
you know, uh, Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer had a great piece on this. He showed um, the the um, amount of the differential over um, per 100 attempts at the rim uh, over KP over the last three years. This was interesting, right? So per 100 – so this is just talking about just purely – his shot-blocking prowess. So KP, KP came in the league with two two things that he does. I'm going to mention the second thing late, later. The first thing was he did have good shot-blocking prowess. He he led the league his last year in New York in block percentage. People forget this. He averaged two and a half blocks a game. But again, in terms of blocking the amount of attempts while he was in the game, led the league in block percentage, which is a great – love that stat. Great stat. Now, you could argue why he did that. That could be due to bad perimeter defense, allowing a lot of people in, so he's more block attempts. Still, it's a great stat. Block percentage. So, um, so he leads the league in that, but one of the most interesting things I found was, and that KOC points out, was per 100 possessions, uh, when KP was on the floor, teams shot 14 points worse per 100 possessions at the rim. It was a niche sample than when he was off the floor. So clearly, he's impacting play at the rim. Altering shots. They scored 14%, sorry, 14 points less per 100 attempts at the rim. When KP was on the floor versus off the floor. First year in Dallas, that number dips to about 11. Still good. Still really, 10 is good. I think over under 10 is, is excellent for that, for that stat. Um... And then this year in Dallas, it dips all the way to three. So really not much better than, you know, your, you know, really call these signs of the world, even, even if that. So when I see that, I'm like, okay, there's two things to that. Is it just you know, a fluke year, COVID and, uh, and injuries? Or, you know, is this a regressing trend? The other thing is, like, how lingering are, are injuries are, are a fair point. They're a fair point. Um... But he at least has that ability, right? And this is the difference between him and people love to just peg. They, people force these comparisons in such a lazy way, and I do it too. Is you know the Bargnani comparison, right? So Bargnani to me, the, here's the difference. First of all, just to kind of throw that out of the way, um, Bargnani did show. I think mean, he had a first his first half. In the lockout, the last lockout season under Dwayne Casey, Dwayne Casey's rookie coaching year with Toronto, Bargnani shot like fifty-seven percent true shooting percentage, but with a high volume. He showed tremendous offensive potential. Casey was trying to vouch for him to, to be the All-Star team. Obviously, the record wasn't good enough. They put him in a position to be successful. All that he was a great sharp shooter, right? Bargnani never showed the following. He always had a low assist rate. Which is so underratedly important. It just shows like this guy's a passer. He, he understands the flow of the game. It looks to pass. That's a big deal. So Bargnani, low assist rate. The other big thing with Bargnani, he was always just a shit defender. In a 9% rebound rate. Obviously he's playing perimeter. That's going to impact it. But just a horrible defender, horrible help defender. These are things he just didn't have. So the, the comparisons aren't moot. Because I think Bargnani was a better shooter than KP. Um, better at getting moves, getting his own shot off, and things like that. 
Um, they're both bad pass. I mean, let's say bad. They both don't pass. And KP, you can't force him. He tries to pass. He turns the ball over, which is a big problem. So now, and then KP, for him to be involved in offense, feel like he's involved, he needs to get like decent usage. There's like a number there. It needs to be over 20%. He does not want to be regulated to just off the ball spacer. So you got to get him involved in high post, mid post action a little bit, shooting over the top of people involved in the offense a little bit. And then he's kind of happy. But real tough. Real tough because his assist rate is so poor. I don't want to underrate that point. It's, it's a poor assist rate. So as a result, what, what can you do with KP? Now his value right now, so there's going to be buyers. I mean, people are stiffing around, I should say. But they're skeptical because the salary is really high. He's got three years. And if you're Dallas at this point, if you're trading him, you're only going to get crap for crap. So first question is, is there another bad contract out there? I would alter. I would swap with KP. Maybe get something else with it. So I'll, I'll throw an idea. I'm not saying this team does it. So, like, so if you go down that road, I, I think there's... I can think of one decent option. How much in the the other one is actually Kemba. We can talk about it. But the one decent option is probably Cleveland. Cleveland's got Kevin Love again. Like I get it. Um, he's got a horrible contract too, but they have young, promising a backcourt in Garland and Sexton. Could you do Love and Garland for KP and whatever, even nothing? Can that happen? And then your Dallas take a shot at Garland. These are the kind of deals you got to consider if you're Dallas. Kevin Love could be Kevin Love himself is a reclamation project. Can it be resurrected? It's possible. You know, it, it could work. But he is he is a a uh, a big time resurrection project, which is a problem. For me, if I'm Dallas, the way I, I kind of look at these things is like, can his value get lower? His value only improves, so he's young still. And the hope is, like, the less years on his contract, the better he'll be. And if he, like, shows any inkling, maybe you get a little more. I don't know. I'm not comfortable dealing him when his value is this low. That's the deals you're getting. It's not, I don't even know if Cleveland's giving up with Garland. You know? like I, They'll look at KP as a four, maybe. I don't know if they are. I try, at worst, so another option... is maybe get Larry Nance Jr. from from Cleveland. But whatever, the contract is love and, like, another decent talent. So if it's love and Kleber for Larry Nance Jr. and Kevin Love, like, that's a big, fat risk if you're Dallas. Real big. Makes me nervous. It would make make me nervous. It would. It would. If I'm Dallas, let me flip the, the point a little bit. If I'm Dallas... And, and I'm going to shout out to Joseph Bellelli, former YU colleague, makes a good point here. Luca is very similar to Harden. He's a, he's 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 he needs a similar fit that Harden needs. And Harden's heyday in Houston and 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 teams like it, right? Um, in order to really be successful, you need I would say pure off the ball talent that plays two way. And look, Dallas knew this. So this isn't like a, a unique original thought. 
They knew this. Why? Well, that's why they got Richardson. They got Josh Richardson out of Philly, kind of a two-way. Well, the problem with those guys is, and I love Josh Richardson. He's a great underrated reclamation project, in my opinion. They need a certain usage to also be effective. Josh Richardson, just because you can shoot, doesn't mean you want to be regulated to off the ball. There's like a every player in the NBA has like at least offensive talents, if you will, have like an ideal usage, which is the percentage of possessions that end with them while they're on the floor, right? And, and I do the same with minutes, the same thing with usage. You want to feel involved in an offense, you need a usage of like over 20%, because usually centers are going to have a lower amount, so you can prorate that. Centers could be over 17%. But most, you want everyone to kind of be involved, you have to be over 20% to be involved in the offense. Average is 20 if you do the math, but again, Centers is down. Centers could be lower. If you're an offensive talent, you can want over 20. You have off-the-ball guys that are 15. So it makes sense. You want over 20% usage. And obviously, I think like 28 minutes is usually like the prime amount of minutes. You're not too tired, but you're in the flow of the game. You need at least 28 minutes, 20% usage to really see how an offensive talent is. Josh Richards, if you're if you play with a Luca or Harden, who's going to get, and even Westbrook is similar, right, a lot of these guys, Who's going to get you up to 35% usage? We'll do the math. Now I just cut out 35% of my usage. Even if my big is taking 10%, I'm left with 55% among three players max, which is under 20% of player on average. So with a guy like Luca, it is almost impossible to have over 20% usage. So he needs pure off-the-ball talent. Almost like the LeBron Cavs teams, which people have compared it to uh, now. Fine. So, again, if that's the case, right, if that's going to be the case, then, then, like, they, saw, they thought KP was that guy. He's not. He needs a little usage. Most guys need usage. So the guys you're looking at, let's just look at, like, just guys who make sense with Luka. And, again, I'm not saying, like, they should go for them. But if you're trying to get, like, a spacing five that was KP-like, you're probably looking at Laurie Markkinen, who's a pure spacer. Or, dare I say, Davis Bertans. Dare I say. I dare. I do dare. I mean, it's not, it's not the most appealing players. Those are rare. They're rare. These pure off-the-ball guys are super rare. So we're, let's go, like, so your, your options are really limited, right? Um, the other, yeah, I mean, that, and then not only that, you can't attach anything to KP. You don't have a first round until, what, 2025 that you can deal? You don't want to deal it. So the the trade assets you, you, you included are, are also hurting you. Are you bringing back Tim Hardaway Jr.? He's going to cost a lot. I don't know. I, I, I don't see a, a scenario here where moving KP will improve your team. Even if KP doesn't fit, it, it, it doesn't exist for me. What I would prefer to do if I'm Dallas is... I'd probably keep KP. I would try to look at Kevin Love as a reclamation project. If I airball free agency, I have cap space. I can move to Cleveland and try to get a guy. I try to get an asset back like Garland, 
and, and you know, Luke Olsen as well with these quick uh, point guards, and then build something there. My goal is to get to the second round and, you know, get more better better spacing. That's at least, and, and then retain some of the rest of my team, maybe rejigger Jerry Richardson, fine, you know, they could find spaces for those guys. If you're going to deal KP, like, you're really, you're shit out of luck. Like, I don't, I don't see any off-the-ball talent that really makes sense for you um, to acquire. Like, I'm thinking in my head, like, I mean, does Golden State give you Wiggins and, and Weissman? They don't. Do you even want that if you're Dallas? You're not going to get that value. I mean, no one's like Indiana. I mean, no one. They're not going to attach it. It's just they, they kind of got to sit on the sag with the salary and the and the increase that they gave him. I don't see. I really don't see any any other route. And, and again, it's it's the crap for crap deal. You got to find because now he's he's stamped as crap. He stamped as crap. You stamped him as crap. You did. So you're not gonna you're not gonna so easily find that, which is a huge problem if you're if you're Dallas. And again, your hope is that he he comes back to you know his first year in Dallas at least to an extent. He's, he's blocking the room and stuff like that, and you have a full offseason. You're clever with how he's involved in the offense. Maybe you get him involved in the first half. I, I I like Kevin Love there with him. I just think you get pure spacing. You get a guy like Garland, and then you bring back Finney Smith. That's a good starting lineup. And then you, if you can retain Hardway Jr. for cheap off the bench, great. If not, get look at guys like Will Barton who can score a little bit. It's a tough – Luca's a tough guy to build around. I'll say that. He's a, he's a phenomenal player. I'm not going to knock that at all. He's a tougher guy to build around. Milwaukee's got the same issue with Giannis. They're tough players to build around. I don't know if in today's NBA – that type of player can help you win a championship. The other thought is you have to then remove usage from Luka during the season to get these guys involved. I think Carlisle just needs to get clever. And he hasn't had the opportunity yet with KP. He needs a full offseason and really make him integrated in the offense. I wouldn't poo-poo it just yet. You know, if I'm Dallas, I just try to resurrect his value and then maybe look to deal him uh, at the deadline. So, again, I'm, I'm getting I'm doing something with Cleveland. I'm getting a guard from them, not Sexton. Uh, maybe I'm making a move for Garland. Um, maybe Jalen Brunson in KP or Jalen Brunson in cap space or Kleber or whatever you want to throw uh, for Love and Garland makes sense to me for both teams. If Cleveland really wants to remove that cap. It also depends on you know how you're going to utilize free agency. If you're Dallas, which is which is massive. If you feel like you're gonna be able to get a couple of maybe underrated guys in free agency, so maybe go that route. If you do, you could do again KP and Jalen Brunson for Love and Garland, something like that. Um, and then you use free agency instead of getting one massive guy, you get a lot of kind of what I like to call like underrated role guys that make sense of Luca. Yeah, that's a possibility. There's a lot of off-the-ball spacers on the market. Duncan Robinson, uh, McDermott. There's 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 a decent amount. Um, you know, you, you do move there. Let's talk about Kemba. But again, I, that, I mean, you know, so it's really only the Cleveland deal that I think is worth even pursuing. 
and then using your cap space to basically get four guys because uh, Dallas is a ways away. I think they need to get like three or four under the radar free agents. And there's usually, if you're just waiting for agency, you're going to find guys. And I haven't done the deepest dive I could have in free agency, but I know like Will Barton, I think is a free agent. He's a great under the radar target coming off an injury. You get a lot of guys like that to fill out your roster. Now you can move into that top three. That's probably not a bad move. And you hope Garland uh, hits. Let's talk about Kemba. So on the flip, though, like, look, again, with the Celtics, I don't think, first of all, Kemba wants out, and I understand it. Kemba's a little different than KP because KP's young. Kemba's not. And um, I actually think the Celtics, unlike Dallas, for me, there's a notion of addition via subtraction, right? So in Dallas, I don't think it's an addition via subtraction. I don't think the Mavericks are better off without KP. I don't, I don't agree with that. I think the Celtics are better off without Kemba. Like, if you just shed him and you told me you had to start no point guard, we talked about this a lot, you do a four-wing offense, that works. So the deal I like that I would do, everyone's anti this deal except for me, maybe I can even get better value, is actually with Dallas with KP. I would do a resurrection project with KP. Um, and I'll explain why. I love the notion of Kemba and Marcus Smart for Josh Richardson and KP. Why? Two reclamation projects. One, I put Richardson at point guard. Everyone's getting your 20% usage. New coach finds a way to get KP involved. If things hit, now again, there's a massive if there, that team's contending. So if I can get if I can resurrect KP and resurrect Richardson, if I'm getting somewhat of a Mammy version of Richardson, even if it's like 50% worse, and a 50% worse KP Nick version, I have a contender. I can compete with Brooklyn. Because I'm adding, first of all, switchable defense is, is phenomenal. I have a backup to KP and Robert Williams. If I can keep Fournier as well, like it's a great, it's a really nice looking team. Like, real sweet. Again, is that a huge if? Yeah, probably. Boston doesn't have the guts to do it. It's a big risk. It's a big, risky move. But your other KP, your other Kemba deals, like, just unloading him, I find attractive as well. So, again, if you're moving... Um, KP, I'm sorry, Kemba, to even like the Clippers, and you're getting a poo-poo platter of Patrick Beverly, Zubacher Morris, and Luke Kennard, I'm happy with that deal. I'm like, let's go. That also makes more sense, because I open up, I get deep. Um, I would love to bring uh, Morris back, Mook. I would love to bring him back if I could. I don't know if I can. It would be great to bring him back. And that's one scenario. New Orleans is another. Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe. Again, Adams at least fits. Like, the Celtics need a, a five that, that they can count on a little bit, right? So that, that helps for sure. And, and they need, like, sort of like a, you know, I hate to use the word thug, but they need, like, a, a guy who's going to protect them. They need, like, that 
old school Charles Oakley type, if you will. I think that that does really well for them. So there's there's options for Kemba. I, just, I showed I showed a few. Um, the Bulls might be interested. They want a veteran point guard. A lot of teams like veteran point guards. Bottom line, there's a scenario again. If I'm Boston, to do my dream scenario, which is the Utah Jazz notion, it, it's four wings and, and a big. You know, it's like three men and a little baby. Four wings and a big. It's a new NBA. Four lengthy wings. I don't care how you do it. Figure out how to do it. And I think you're 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 definitely uh, definitely better off for. It. I don't see um, the other. Let's keep going with Kemba scenario. So, like my dream Celtic scenario is basically two scenarios. I mentioned the Dallas one, the Cleveland Clipper one. I'll just I'll just finalize it right. So, I kind of do like. Um, Again, Kemba goes to the Clippers. We get that package. Um, that package goes to, let's say, Zubak, Beverly, you know. Um, Zubak, Beverly, and uh, uh, Luke Kennard. They go to Cleveland. I'll give you Marcus Smart, too, Cleveland. Give me back Kevin Love and Garland. So I basically dealt Kemba and Smart. For Kevin Love and Garland, kind of similar to the Dow situation, you can see. Like I like, I like that package. But yeah, that's the uh, that's the move. That's the move for either team, quite frankly. Let me just make sure I'm driving here, okay, guys. Doing this while driving. Um. Trying to think of the other the other Kemba scenarios. There's really there's really not many. You have, you know, uh, Dallas, Denver. Yeah, you don't have many. Man, if the Celtics got KP and Jay Rich, man. But again, in, in summary, we'll end it soon. In a few minutes. In, in summary, I, I just think you you know if you're Dallas, you analyze the free agency market because I think that's. Um. You want to see, I think you have massive cap. I don't think they need, there's not a one-guy solution out there that's realistic. Like Kawhi Leonard to Dallas doesn't make any sense to me. You're better off, and teams have done this and they've made errors. Like Portland, I think, made a playoff run four years ago, and then they had cap space, and they were like, we're going to get four roll guys. And then they used it on like Evan Turner and you know guys like that, and it did not work out. Just be smart with your free agency funding, and you could do well. You get three under the radar guys. So if I'm if I'm Dallas and I have pure cap and I'm letting you know Tim Hardaway Jr. Let's just say I'm letting him I'm letting him walk, basically. I can get you know under these under the radar you know snag some of these under the radar guys to complement my eight man rotation. And then um, if I then I can move KP for my Love Garland scenario. I think Love can be reclaimed. And I think his his contract end earlier. I'm not sure it might. So if it does, bonus. And now he's a useful expiring in a year or so. But I think Rick Carlo has done, he's reclaimed before. So I think I think it is feasible. And Love's also played with LeBron. He'll he'll get that scenario a little bit. Um, 
And let's see if he gets resurrected. That's my Dallas move. My Boston move. Four wings and a big, guys. So, New Orleans, I mentioned the trade idea. Cleveland, the Clipper, there's an idea there. There might be something with Chicago. I'm not going to deep dive because I think it's so stupid for Chicago to think about that. Um, I would love Sedaransky. Love him. But there's there's probably, but honestly, in the end of the day, they're probably going to do a deal with each other. Boston and Dallas. And by the way, these stupid little Damian Lillard of Celtics um, ideas are just ridiculous. Like, we're not there. If you're Boston, your goal is to get a little younger, if you're dealing with Kemba, build a team that continues to progress these next few years, and then you want to basically make your move uh, when when the Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Bridge is falling down. That's the idea. And KP and J. Rich get it done. That's an original thought. Guys, till next time, really appreciate it. Appreciate the viewership. Again, or listenership, rather. Brought to you by 888 Casino. Join now. Don't be a fool. Get free 20 bucks. Free 20 bucks. Go to 888 Casino.